Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week on the podcast, we have Jason Turner from Unicorn Cycles coming to us to talk about custom titanium gravel bikes. Before we get into today's show, I need to welcome a new sponsor to the Gravel Ride Podcast, Hammerhead. You may be familiar with the Hammerhead Carew computer. What you may not be aware of is that the Carew 2 is now available. It was named Bicycling Magazine's Editor's Choice in GPS Computers for the past two years running and continues to collect accolades throughout the sport. Funny story, a few years back when I did the Oregon Timber Trail with a couple friends, we each had a different make of GPS cycling computer, and it actually took the three of them to try to find our way through this trail system. Each one had its own attributes, and the one thing that stood out about the Hammerhead Carew, the original one, was the mapping capabilities. The screen and the design of the mapping functionality is much more akin to what you'd be familiar with on your iPhone or Android phone. It's beautiful mapping, and to be able to pinch and zoom and blow up that map, it was a key component of our navigation on the Oregon Timber Trail. On that original Carew device, I found it to be a bit big and heavy, so it never became a daily driver for me. So when the Carew 2 was announced, I was super stoked that they'd been able to reduce the size while actually improving the capability of the device. What I really love about the latest one I've been testing is that you can swipe through the screens very easily and customize them to the nth degree. For me, as you guys know, in Marin County, everything's about vertical feet and climbing. Mileage is less consequential to how a ride feels or is gonna look after the fact than the amount of climbing I've been doing. So by setting up the Carew 2 to have a climbing feature to it, I can see exactly where I am from an elevation perspective, which gives me an idea as to where I am on the mountain. So I basically have one screen that's dedicated specifically to elevation and climbing. And that's one of the ways in which I can navigate around the mountain. And then I swipe over and I've got another detailed screen that has the mapping capability of it. I'll get into a much more about the Carew 2's features in the coming weeks, as Hammerhead has agreed to come on as a sponsor for a number of episodes. For a limited time, our listeners can get a free custom color kit and an exclusive premium water bottle with the purchase of a Hammerhead Carew 2 computer. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use the promo code THEGRAVELRIDE at checkout to get yours today. That's a free custom color kit and a premium water bottle with the purchase of a Carew 2. Simply go to hammerhead.io, add all three items to your cart, and use the promo code THEGRAVELRIDE. This is an exclusive limited time offer only for the Gravel Ride podcast listeners. So be sure to head over and don't forget that promo code, The Gravel Ride. With that said, let's jump right into this week's show. Hey, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me on the Gravel Ride podcast. This is yeah, very. I'm excited to learn more about uni- unicorn cycles. We always like to start off by setting the stage, get a little bit of understanding about your background as a cyclist. And obviously, that goes hand in hand with the development of the brand and and the company Unicorn Cycles. So why don't you tell us about that journey? How did you find riding bikes? What what kind of bikes do you like to ride? And then we'll get into Unicorn. Okay. Yeah. I think for most people, the seed for cycling starts as a child. Growing up as a kid in the city, I lived on 19th Street and I wasn't allowed to leave the block. 
you could just a little square inner city. And so, but that didn't stop me. Me and a friend on many occasions, I remember we would ride our BMX bikes up to 119th street. And we thought that was like really far. That took us hours with stoplights and everything else. And so just that idea of like freedom as a kid on the bike and, and going far later on as an adult, I mapped out that distance in, in the old neighborhood where we would ride and realized it was just six and a half miles each way. So it wasn't very far. But flash forward to to an adult, I was living in Austin, Texas. I was running, swimming, really active. And it's, everyone in Austin was doing a triathlon. Um, so I decided to just try it. So I bought my first real road bike. It was a, a steel Bianchi. It was about $1,000. And immediately after getting the bike, I was I was just hooked. I had a bike before, but training for triathlon. So literally three weeks after getting this first road bike, I did my first century. Probably not very advisable, bonked hard. So I like to educate myself anytime I get into anything. So I was reading books on cycling. And one that stuck with me, I still have today, is The Long Distance um, Cycling by Edmund Burke. I think it is. And so in the book, he covered stuff like Ram, but one of the ones I remember reading about was the Furnace Creek 508, Epic Ride, Death Valley, Mojave Desert, 29 Palms. And so point, I've been only riding a road bike a couple months and I publicly with my friends and family said, hey, next year, next time they do the 508, I'm going to do it. So needless to say, I didn't... I didn't think the Bianchi was up to the task of the 508. So I was looking at getting a different bike. And in that long distance cycling book, there was mention of soft ride and Titan Flex. Some of your riders may um, recognize uh, Titan Flex there at San Diego. And so boom bike, beam bike, whatever you want to call it, similar to the Trek Y-Foil. Anyway, it seemed like the best bike for long distance cycling. So I contacted the owner, Tom, at Titan Flex and said, hey, I'll you know, redo your website to get a deal on a Titan Flex. So he took me up in the offer. I redid the website and got a Titan Flex. So a little over a year after purchasing my first road bike, I'm there at the start of the 508 with your crew that you have to have with the Titan Flex, with the bike I rented in Southern California, just as a backup bike, just wanted to see how far I could go. And so I, lit I literally crashed at 300 miles. I thought I'd broken some bones, but I'm like, no, I'm going to keep going. I pushed myself rode another 100 miles, so for a total of 400 miles. But at this point, I wasn't going to finish. There's a 48-hour cutoff. And so I called the race organizer, cell phone reception in this remote area at, I don't know what time it was, eight or 2 o'clock in the morning, called the race organizer, dropped out. And so then a couple hours later, directly from the end of the race where we stopped, it was still about two or three hours to the ER. And that was basically my next stop. Didn't break anything. But over the next few years, I did similar events to the 508. Um, in Texas, there's something called the Texas Time Trials. They have 12, 24, 48-hour events. It's a 26-mile loop. So it, psychologically, it's a little bit different doing a loop. And you don't have to have a crew, that, which is kind of nice. You don't have to carry things with you. But I bought another bike, and it was a, 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 or at least a frame. It was a titanium light speed. I built it up. And at that point, I fell in love with titanium. So due to and changes, that, yep. was there anything in your background that suggested that you would be well-suited to these ultra endurance type events? Maybe my mentality of just like push myself, going hard, going long. I was real gung-ho as a kid for the military, but I didn't, I ended up not joining. I always had strong legs playing football and stuff like that. So I don't know, maybe it was the strong legs and that don't quit dedicated mentality. And, and also the idea of just going farther, going 500 miles nonstop, uh, 
kind of set well with me the, the farther distance. So yeah, nothing re- specifically in my background. I was just hooked. Yeah. It's interesting. I imagine like being relatively new at that time to, to cycling as you started just a few years mm-hmm. prior, any issues around bike fit or bike performance probably became very apparent to you. So whereas others of us, it might've taken years to start to understand mm-hmm. like what does a steel bike feel like versus a titanium bike versus a carbon bike all of a sudden you've got all these miles underneath you. Imagine you're developing a, a fine kind of tune mentality to frame materials and design. I think that was in the back of my mind, like always wanting to try out different things, different setups, again, reading about what other people were doing and recommending for those things. That's I, I think that's why I went with the Steel Bianchi. But I, I think I was young enough at that time that I could beat up my body and, and it, it would take it. But there was a point where I had to stop riding due to just changes in life. So in 2010, I moved from Austin to Denver. I rode a bike, a surly long haul trucker. It had a two wheel trailer behind it. And I literally, that's how I moved from Austin to Denver as I rode this bike. And when I got to Denver, I sought out another cycling club, the Rocky Mountain Cycling Club. And they're focused on longer rides and brevets, kind of similar. One of their factions or one of the outfits in Rocky Mountain Cycling Club is similar to the Triple Crown series in California. So you do these long 200-mile rides in short time frames, 20,000 feet worth of climbing, and you can get a Triple Crown. So I, I do consider myself, I call myself an ultra cyclist, 24, 48-hour events, 750-mile or even 1,000-mile. That's the longest one I've done, self-supported races. 200 mile gravel rides with strict time cutoffs, 1200K purveys. But the, the point of me mentioning kind of, and not bravado or bragging about like all these long rides is that I think because the nature of the rides and the long distance, I was constantly trying new new setups, new components every year since starting Unicorn, I would build a new bike for myself just so I could try out, try out something new, different, seeing if there was some advantages. And it's not always about speed, especially when at that distance, it's about uh, comfort. It's about bike packing. There's so many other things, just staying on the bike. Even if you're not fast, if if you're on the bike and moving, that's better than maybe sleeping for four hours in some cases. Yeah. it's, It's definitely an interesting perspective to bring to the business. So you started to mention it and we should get into it now. So you've, you've got a business called unicorn cycles and it sounds like it was the result of this journey you took on finding the right bike for you and the right material. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, I mean, obviously aspiring to have a custom bike for you that fits your needs is not unusual mm-hmm. for cyclists, but going ahead and starting a company around it is unusual. So why don't you talk about that step and what led to you believing that unicorn cycles was your future professionally speaking? So at this point, living in Denver, I, I had a titanium bike that I bought from a, online from another company that does something similar to Unicorn. And I was looking to buy another one from them a few years later. I basically thought maybe I'll do something similar to Titanflex. So I contacted the owner of this other company, which I rather not name, and said, hey, can we work out some sort of deal discount, help with marketing website, so, something along the line. And they didn't seem that interested in anything I had to offer. So at this point, I started thinking that I know they, they were on their website um, transparent in that they don't build the bikes. It's from overseas. And, but I thought to myself, you know what? I can do that better. And so that, and I think a lot of ideas, not just in cycling, but any industry start with someone thinking, hey, 
I see what you're doing. I can do it better. And so I still wanted a bike for myself, a custom titanium frame. And so I contacted different companies outside the US, not just in Asia, and settled on one builder, one shop to build a frame for myself that it was what I consider the first unicorn. This was in 2016. And then I started design bikes and, and, and go through that same builder and process for some of my friends. I tried one time I would try this particular shop and then this shop just to see with the idea that I didn't know where this was going with unicorn. I didn't have this ambition to start this big company or anything like that, or make lots of money. I just like bikes. I like the design aspect of it. I have a a background a little bit in art, architecture, design, drafting sort of thing. So it kind of fit well with that aspect of it. But I finally kind of picked two companies that I contracted with Unicorn. And it was clear to me at the time that there was a, a gap. Certainly riders could go direct to some of these companies overseas and have a bike built for them. Unicorn kind of filled the gap where it wasn't boutique, American-made, very expensive custom frame, but it wasn't, I think there's a lot of apprehension of riders going directly to Asian companies and having a bike built, sending them thousands of dollars, talking to someone who isn't a native speaker that has different, is in a different time zone. They're not cyclists. They're just kind of taking an order. They'll make changes to the design if you want. But so I thought where I could differentiate Unicorn and myself is with that consultative sort of sell. And maybe it's not scalable long-term. We'll see how many of these custom frames we can do in a week or a month. Uh, scalability is definitely a concern, but then again, I'm not necessarily looking to be a multi-million dollar company. I just, I like writing. I like helping out other writers. And so it, it just seemed like a, a win-win. Nice. So Obviously, listeners of the show are familiar with a lot of the titanium frame builders in the United States, whether it's a Moots or a Lightspeed or a Dean or a Mosaic. You've sort of talked about how titanium was the material you felt was the best performing for the style of riding that you were looking to do. What is it about titanium that you think makes it a great material for these long gravel events? Sure, sure. Not just gravel events, but I'll just say for a custom frame in particular. So thinking about the reasons behind titanium for a custom frame. So I'm hard on my personal bikes. I'm a heavier rider. All the miles I put in on the, the rides and races means you know, there's a lot of scratch. There's a lot of nicks. There, it's exposed to a lot of wear and tear. My personality, I'm a little bit OCD. I like my bike clean and looking new. And so I think a lot of listeners understand titanium is easy to keep clean, remove scratches, scotch bright. Even if it's a polished frame, it's, it's easy to keep a polished titanium frame looking good. And titanium lends itself to, to custom frames. There are a few handful of carbon fiber builders out there making custom fiber frames, but it's expensive and there's not very many of them. I don't think I've, I haven't looked, but I haven't really seen too many aluminum custom frames. Steel is, is definitely has been around and is a good option for custom frames, but then it has that added step of needing to be protected, painted, Cerakoted or something similar. In my experience, steel frames, they tend to use smaller diameter tubes, which, you know, to keep the weight down, but then that contributes sometimes to lateral flex and speed wobbles. So to me, having got to exposed to titanium early, I'm definitely a more of a function over form guy. I do like the look of titanium, but it just seems to function well, especially for a custom frame. And with, in particular with gravel, the, the just the beatings that it takes up, whether it's leaning against a tree, falling over, 
crashing sometimes, getting nicks from rocks and stuff. Titanium is a great material just for the longevity of it. Let's talk about vetting the manufacturing partners you've chosen overseas. Obviously, there's very few of us who would order a titanium frame, even from a U.S. builder, and have the opportunity to meet the gentleman or woman who's welding that bike. So it's not, in many respects, it's it's not that different. But why don't you talk about what that process was like finding these vendors, and how do you feel the quality stacks up to the rest of the global marketplace? Sure, sure. What? I think backing up a little bit, I gravitated towards Asian production just to keep prices low. One that was helped differentiate Unicorn, but also pass that savings on to clients. I did. I, I think early on, titanium was was an expensive material. It was thought of uh, some mysterious material, but titanium prices have come down a lot since the 90s and 2000s. And so, again, I gravitated to Asian manufacturers, and I think I don't have the statistics, but I think Asia probably makes more bikes than any other region. Quality, I think for any company is always a concern, especially if you're going to outsource it through a third party. So just the fact that they're in another country, maintaining quality is a challenge, even for for if I contracted with a U.S. company, not, not to mention another company. So just because it's a U.S. company doesn't guarantee quality or consistency just because it's fabricated. Even if it's fabricated in-house, there could be challenges um, with that. Titanium, unlike maybe carbon fiber, lends itself to, you, it, it's hard to hide flaws in titanium. With carbon fire in the layup process, you can't necessarily see inside of it. Sure, you could cut some samples apart um, depending on the molds, but titanium itself, there's a chart for welding titanium. And depending on the color, of the titanium where it's welded, certain colors are acceptable just because titanium is very um, sensitive to the heat at the higher temperatures. And if it gets past a certain temperature or a certain amount of oxygen um, exposed to it, you can s- literally see that. There's not, and because it's not painted. So when I receive the frames, whether it's a stock frame or custom frame, it's inspected inside and out. I can stick a little scope inside so I can see the welds on there, the thickness, if it's a stack of dime, a stack of quarters. Great. So every frame, as you mentioned, comes through your facility in Colorado and you're able to do a careful analysis of it before going out to the end customer, which Mm -hmm. is great. So you can see the quality of the frames. What does that process look like? I know you mentioned that you do a stock frame, but mm-hmm. it sounds like a lot of your framework is custom. What does that process look like in working with customers? Clients come to me through various means. Most of the time it's an online forum, but it could be through uh, a bike show here in Denver. Somehow they get sent to me a referral. We'll talk on the phone. If they're local, I might meet them in person. We might do a Zoom session. In fact, most of the clients for unicorn aren't in Colorado, but so we'll exchange ideas. And at some point they're going to say, think yes or no. And if they're wanting to move forward with unicorn, we ask for a $200 design deposit, which is applied to the cost of the frame. We set up a shared online document to keep track of the various frame specifications and components. You can imagine building a custom frame. We want even if we don't supply the components, we want to know how it's going to be built out with what forks and what cranks and what sort of wheels and all that. So this online document is, is a great source. Once through these exchanges, once we understand exactly what we're designing, we first focus on the frame geometry. So we'll create a basic CAD drawing with main focus of nailing down the geometry. Um, 
once we get that done, we'll do a detailed CAD drawing, which then shows tube diameter, tube thickness, tube shapes, the cable routing, the dropouts, bottom bracket, you name it, all the spacing. And again, we'll make as many changes going back and forth to the to the design or even the geometry as necessary. Once the client is, is satisfied with, yes, that's what they want, half the cost of the frame is due at that point, minus the deposit. If they're ordering any components, we ask for the full price of the components. And um, production time is varied. Pre-COVID, it was probably six to eight weeks. Now it's probably eight to 12 weeks. Once the frame is complete, I'll send pictures to the client. The frame will be shipped to Colorado where it's inspected, verifying the geometry like I said, inspecting the welds inside the frame. We might uh, apply decals. We might brush up some of the finishing, offer a frame, frame set, frame set, and maybe some components, complete builds in some cases. We're not doing complete builds right now just because the, the component shortages, but it, it looks a little different from everyone. Different people are coming from different backgrounds, different knowledge levels. So we might get to a completed CAD drawing that's approved in a week in some cases. Some cl clients may want to take a longer period of time, and it might be a month or two before the CAD drawing is approved. You mentioned sort of tube diameter being one of the variables you can play around with. Can you walk me through what that conversation looks like? So say I'm coming to you for a gravel frame and you know that I'm 5'9 and 170 odd pounds. Mm -hmm. How's that conversation go? The conversation would be it wouldn't be much of a conversation at first. You may not want to be that involved. You may not have that much knowledge in it. And so so for the, the tube selection, you might just leave it to our best judgment, but you may want to be involved in it. You may have specific needs. So a lot of it is based on previous builds and kind of ride quality feedback we receive. I think in general, we over-engineer, so we make it stronger, sturdier, thicker, of course, at the expense of weight than necessary, but better to be kind of safe. But so the conversation itself, it, it just depends on the client. But we, yeah, we can control almost all the aspects of it. I mean, because they are titanium tubes and, and the tubes may be hydroforms and have special shapes, there's not a whole lot. There, there's a few number of strings that you can pull on it. Yeah. Does the factory have sort of the same number of tubing options as you would find elsewhere in the world? For the most part, yes. And that's why I think we have two shops that we work with. One shop is a little bit more adventurous and has hydro farming capabilities. And so they can do some things that the other shop can't. It also depends on production levels, why we might choose one shop over the other. Also to keep it a little bit competitive. So yes, some shops do have different supplies and different capabilities, especially around hydro farming. Yeah, on the Unicorn Cycles website, I've seen a gallery of some very interesting bikes that have come through there from the very traditional to pretty unique tubing shapes, et cetera, mm -hmm. designed around very specific criteria. I think one maybe triathlon bike for a, a smaller woman comes mm -hmm. to mind in terms of the very interesting bends in the tubes. Yeah, I think she was four foot six. She had a custom Mooney frame that was 10 or 15 years old, steel, very heavy, but standover height was a big deal. That one was challenging just because the fork and tires, I think we use 650C. We just did another one recently, a 36er. The guy wasn't really tall. He was six foot, but he wanted a 36er. We hadn't done one before, made a custom fork for that. He works at a bike shop, I think in Houston, just received the, the frame recently, hasn't built it up yet. So we'll see what he does with that. But be, th that was challenging because here it's a big 36er frame, but it's a six foot guy. If he was seven foot, 
that would have probably been easier. Yeah, fat bikes, ultra cycling, boom bike for myself. So we'll, I mean, as long as we th- think it's safe, the design that the, the client's proposing, we'll, we'll give it a try. And like I said, if, if necessary, we'll, we'll overbuild it. What kind of guidance, what's the sort of basic spec of a gravel bike these days for you guys? Like if someone comes to you and says, I want one that's in the sweet spot of the market, what mm-hmm. size tire diameter are you designing around? What are some of the basics that kind of would come into play? Well, okay. So for tire size, I would say like our, we'll have a new stock frame out in March. We're building around 50 millimeter tires. That'll be both 50 millimeter for 700 C as well as 650 B. So I think that's the upper end. I mean, people may want something larger. We get a lot of requests for a salsa cutthroat type bike. They, they like the cutthroat, but they want it titanium or they want more water bottle or brazon water bottle mounts for storing extra gear. They want a slacker head tube. So I think the sweet spot for gravel tire size is a large part of tire size is the rider's own weight. If 40 millimeters is good for me, but I'm a certain weight and 45 or 46 millimeter might be better for someone else. It also depends on the train. So there's, that's what I like about custom. It's not a one size fits all, but I am seeing probably 40, 44 millimeter tire size as what I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of slacker head tubes, 70 millimeters with a trail of like 68, 70, 75, 80 millimeter trail combination of the fork and the head tube, a lot of mounts under the down tube on the top tube on the chainstay, um, a lot of bike packing, a lot of kind of do it all, all round, all road, not just all roads, but they may want to use it for bike packing. They may want a split in the seat stay for a future belt drive. They're not going to use one now, but hey, can you put it a split in the seat stay for a belt drive? Sure, let's do that. Frame couplers do that. So it varies. And a custom frame isn't necessarily for someone who's four six or someone who has a short torso and, and long legs. It may be for that rider who no has very specific requirements. They want a slack, a, a taller head tube on it because they're too hunched over. They're getting older. They want something more upright. They want the extra mount. So, or they want a certain type of bottom bracket. They want a, a frame that it could, could accommodate either a suspension fork or a static fork. So it's just making those little tweaks that they can't find in an off-the-shelf bike somewhere else. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think the comments about fit resonate with me a lot as I I just got a bike fit myself and I'm finding there's just sort of little things that it's been pretty tricky to find on a stock frame, particularly around a desired head tube length. And it's not that I couldn't achieve a similar result with sort of stacking spacers, but it's not an elegant look. It's not something that someone who's been around cycling my whole life. It's not a look that I aspire to. So the idea of designing a bike that has a little bit more head tube than maybe a stock frame to accommodate my lack of flexibility and age, dare I say, is attractive to me. And that makes a lot of sense. I also think titanium as a frame material is aspirational for a lot of people in their cycling life, right? We all want to have some titanium underneath us at some point in our lives because of the, the, the lore behind it and the durability and the flexibility, which I think does make it a really great material for gravel cycling because mm-hmm. you've got the durability, but also compliance built in and the terrain in which gravel cyclists are pursuing these days, I think tends to be rougher and rougher. 
Yeah. We may we may all get these bikes thinking like, oh, I'm just going to turn down that fire road. But that fire road then becomes a single track. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you're kind of pushing the capabilities of these drop bar bikes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was thinking of something that you mentioned, but now it, it eludes me about a, a custom bike and a custom fit. I apologize. Yeah, it takes a while. I think for me, it's taken a while and it's been a journey. Ever since I got my first gravel bike, I discovered what I didn't want. I discovered the limitations of that particular first bike and I have leaned into things going forward. And for me, it's sort of been progressively larger on tire size. And I I do think to your point that 700 by 50 seems Mm -hmm. to be the sweet spot. Like I'm not sure I necessarily will ride that big all the time, but Mm -hmm. I would like to have that in the bike's capabilities. So should I go bike packing or what have you, I can throw on some big, wide, high volume tires to mm-hmm. add to that. And then if I'm racing or maybe my daily driver, I might be down to a, a 43 or 45, but that's, that's the beauty, right? We can have this flexibility with these bikes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Have you sort of come to the ideal customer in your mind? Like who, who is the customer that you feel like when they come knocking on your door, Unicorn provides like the perfect solution for? I don't know if there's a perfect customer per se. I mean, obviously the, the one that's the, the easiest that already knows what they want. I've had clients bring drawings to me that they've just sketched in the, in the geometry, like a, a kind of a typical customer. They already have a bike, if not more than one bike. They've been riding for several years. Like yourself, they know um, what they don't want. Surprisingly, I don't have to do a lot in terms of bike fit. Usually they have a bike that fits them fairly well already that they've been riding for a while, but they just want to make some tweaks on it. Like you said, the head tube. One of the things that I try to do in designing a frame is it is to make it adjustable for the future. So if when they do get older, uh, that it'll grow with them, maybe they maybe they start to ride more and they get more flexibility. So I, I would never want to sell a custom bike where the head tube is slammed. I always want at least 20 millimeters of space below the stem just so they could lower it because you're not going to be able to take that away. So allowing some adjustability in the saddle, looking at pictures of their current bike to see where the saddle is. So I could see that their current frame has a 74 millimeter or 74 degree seat tube angle, but I see that they're pushed all the way back on the rails of the saddle. So maybe um, we make the unicorn 73 and a half degrees and that will give them more adjustability also keeping in into account the the seat post setback but going back to who's the best or ideal customer yeah a customer who has a bike who's been around who wants to who re- likes titanium like you said either it's that elusive that they've always wanted a titanium bike. Of course, a customer that's that's patient because the, the design process, the fabrication process takes time. So if they're looking for that instant gratification, probably isn't for them. That's why we've started carrying a few um, stock frames out there. But yeah, we get all kind of varieties, budgets, ambitions, just from a commuting bike with maybe a pinion gearbox, they want low maintenance, they want a belt drive, or they want something very aggressive. They've won, you know, state gravel races. One gentleman locally, um, race across Iowa, he's won that and placed in that a couple times, built him a, a gravel bike with a, a loose fork on it. So it really varies. And I think that's the flexibility of Unicorn being unique is that it, it is what you make it. I mean, every 
writer out there is different, how they're writing, what they're writing, their ambitions is different. And so the bike should be as unique as them, I like to think. I think, Jason, that's a fine place to end the podcast, that statement. I think it sums up Unicorn in a nutshell. It's finding a bike that's right for you. Mm -hmm. The perfect bike for you. Yeah. Jason, thanks so much for the time today. I really enjoyed the conversation and I'll point people to your website so they can get to know you a little bit more and find out how to get in contact with you. Thank you, Craig. And thank you to the, the Gravel Ride podcast. Really love what you're doing and appreciate this time. Thank you. Cheers. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Gravel Ride podcast. Big thanks to Jason Turner from Unicorn Cycles for coming on board and telling us all about how you can get a custom titanium gravel bike of your dreams. And also a big shout out to this week's sponsor, Hammerhead, and the new Carew 2 computer. Make sure to grab one of those cool custom color kits and a free premium water bottle by visiting hammerhead.io, the website, and use the promo code THEGRAVELRIDE at checkout. If you're looking to connect with me, please visit The Ridership at www.theridership.com and join our community. I love hearing from you, and I love even more seeing the community interact by itself. If you're looking to support the podcast, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride or by sharing this podcast with a friend. Sometimes I forget that ask, but it's really important. If you're enjoying this podcast and have cycling friends, I would love for you to ask them to give this podcast a listen. Word of mouth is definitely the number one way in which a podcast can grow. So consider it a huge favor and thanks in advance for your effort. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. 